episode 271, bonus edition, interview with Brian Seppi. Hey y'all, welcome to the Empowering Educators Podcast. I am Gretchen, your host and expert lesson learner. I'm a national board certified elementary teacher turned teacher, trainer, and coach. All the lessons I've learned and am learning on my edgy journey, I share with you right here. From every silly mistake to the most glorious successes, you're going to hear stories and strategies that will inspire you to become your best. I have to warn you, as an educator, I can't help but hold you accountable for doing the work. So every episode, I leave you with practical, tangible next steps so you can implement your learning and maximize your impact. Whether you're teaching a lesson or learning one yourself, there's always a lesson if you're willing to pay close attention. Elite educators, that's the secret to staying empowered. Bring on today's lesson. Welcome to the Always a Lesson summer interview series. I've asked some very special guests to bring their wisdom to you all throughout May, June, July, and August. Connecting you with other elite educators is one of my favorite parts of this job as a teacher leader and podcaster. The insight that you are going to gain from these conversations is going to prepare you to hit the ground running during the back-to-school season, but more importantly, it is going to reignite your passion and your potential as an educator. Are you ready to level up what you bring to the table and how you serve those you lead? Then buckle up and let's go. Hey y'all, Gretchen here from Always a Lesson, here to empower you to reach your potential. I've got a guest for you today. I cannot wait for you to meet him. He's a dear friend of mine who I never even know existed but a year ago, and now I'm able to just call him a colleague and a friend, and you'll be able to do the same thing after this conversation. So before we dive into what we're talking about in terms of teacher leadership and all the lessons involved in his journey as an educator, I want to share his background with you so Brian's an educator, instructional coach, and consultant. He is passionate about exploring the habits, beliefs, and ideas of people who teach and is driven by the idea that everyone deserves a thought partner and trusted coach, which is really funny because he and I have kind of become that person. We connected on Clubhouse and we're each other's thought partners and being able to swap coaching strategies. So I know that he lives and breathes that philosophy. So Brian has his master's degree and began his work in classrooms as a teacher and coach through the partnership with Teachers College Reading and Writing Project. He spent 17 years in Buffalo, New York as an elementary and middle school teacher and instructional coach. During the day, Brian can be found in classrooms supporting and empowering educators to find their voice and pursue their goals for their own learning and obviously their impact on students. But when Brian's not in the classroom, he serves as an adjunct professor at his alma mater and as a consultant and coach for the Western New York Teacher Residency Program. Super cool. It's a program where early career educators experience a one-year residency with a master teacher in the city of Buffalo, New York. Brian is also a consultant with the Instructional Coaching Group with Jim Knight, whoop, whoop, and a learning partner with Growth Coaching International. In his free time, as if he has any, Brian enjoys writing for choice literacy, spending time with his family, and coaching baseball. He's a well-rounded guy. He is going to share his story and his passion today. Totally relatable. You're going to feel like you guys are besties. So let's dive in. 
Hey, Brian, thanks so much for being a guest here on the Empowering Educators podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to uh, finally make this happen. I know uh, y'all are going to be very excited to meet Brian today because he has been someone I consider a colleague for a while now through Clubhouse, and we'll talk about that in a minute. Um, And he's got an exciting role that he wants to share, too. So, Brian, if you don't care, I'm going to just jump right in. That sounds great. Let's okay, go cool. So let's first explain how our paths crossed, and then I'll get the history of where you've been and what you've been doing in education. Perfect. So tell us, how did you, I, I mentioned Clubhouse, but what exactly were you and I doing together? Kind of get us caught up there. Yeah. So, you know, it's interesting. You had these rooms. Uh, so I was, I was getting sort of acclimated to Clubhouse and the richness around education and educational topics. And as an instructional coach, uh, in my role at the time, uh, you know, you're always looking for colleagues who are going to push your thinking and it's, it's a different landscape in an educational setting and you need support, you need new thinking, you need new ideas. And I came across your room on, it was like a Sunday night mm-hmm. and, um, which by the way is a perfect time oh, good. Um, because, because that's when you know, these things sort of creep in, right? You start to wonder, thinking about the week ahead um, and conversations like the ones and, the, and the, the, the conversations you were holding and facilitating were really helpful because you could sort of take a piece of it and then try it that week. Mm-hmm. Um, and, they, and the guests you brought on too. So I, I was plugging into your content uh, pretty early uh, on Clubhouse and really just walking away with fresh perspectives, new ideas, um, and feeling pretty empowered, you know, for the week ahead. And then I think at one point you had a few topics on there, uh, where, where I would DM you, uh, about, I said, man, I'm really interested in this, in this conversation around habits, uh, and the, the, the topic that you had coming up. And so you and I kind of collaborated, uh, to do some work around, uh, habits and starting our day as an instructional coach. So I was, you know, fortunate enough to kind of join forces with you mm-hmm. uh, to think through some of that. And that was really uh, a great way to kind of have this connection. And since then, um, obviously following your work uh, and your path a little bit to kind of, again, continue to grow and continue to expand uh, my network, uh, but also to really expand my practice and my craft. And so, yeah, just being out there and following you on Instagram and Twitter and um, it's, it's just been really great to kind of follow the, the, the content that you've put out there. And I, I feel very fortunate that our paths have crossed that way. Yeah, me too. And it's so funny what social media can do. You know, we didn't know each other existed. We didn't even know that there was going to be this app where we could talk about different topics with people that weren't even in the same room as us. And so things rapidly change so quickly with technology and it brings us who are far away, super close and to be able to watch each other's careers evolve and learn from one another, it's just really cool. So I encourage Mm -hmm. you all, as you're listening to Brian's story, think about what similarities do you have and how did he push himself outside his comfort zone in collaborating or chasing his own learning and, and how can you do that this year? And he was mentioning you know, our chats being on Sunday nights is a great time to fuel yourself up instead of the Sunday scaries. You know, you mm-hmm. got to find a way to reframe that. And whether you listen into a clubhouse chat or not, find a practice on Sundays or, you know, whenever you start to feel the fear of the week coming up to allow yourself to get in the right mind frame to make an impact. And Brian, I know you run a lot, right? 
Mm-hmm. Is that your outlet to, to refocus <laughs> or get out your frustration or what? Yeah, it, it's, you know, it's funny. Right? So where does this story start? I was looking for something uh, a few years back and I'm uh, a little later into my my 40s and I had always done something athletically, something competitive, something athletics, right? And I couldn't really put my finger on what that should be or could be uh, into my mid forties. And so I saw this challenge come across, uh, about eclipsing 26 miles in 26 days in the month of, and this is going back, uh, you know, about four years ago now, but, and I, and I said, all right, I'm just going to take this challenge on and I'm going to see where this thing goes. Um, and it was really hard. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. There were, there were moments where it was like, now looking back on the, the the volume and the number of where I am now with my volume, uh, 26 miles in 26 days is really just a drop in the bucket. But uh, <laughs> at the time, it really it really was challenging. I had to show up every day. I had to plug in. I really had to make sure that I could get my breath, lower my heart rate. All these things were in my mind. Now, taking on the challenge was was one of those things where it was a pursuit around at first growing around my health. I've got two uh, young children. Uh, well, now they're they're 13 and 11. But at the time, two young children, and I just wanted to make sure that I was taking care of health at that point. Hmm. Uh, what I've learned as a result uh, of just sort of studying my path around continuous self improvement and growth, which is ult- my ultimate passion. You know, how do we continue to push ourselves beyond our boundaries to really grow and improve? Running became the primary vehicle for change uh, personally and eclipsing 26 miles and having the marker around health was really great Uh, but then it became a hobby pursuit of mine where I started to study it and um, and this is what I mean like all of the lessons I think you and I had this conversation at one point uh, offline maybe where it's like all the lessons that I needed to know about growth and development can be learned through my fitness and running. And I'm sure this is the, the, the truth for many people out there who have outside pursuits outside of their sort of titled position uh, in a school or on a campus um, or in education as, as a whole. But if you just step outside of that, it's like, where are the spaces where you are learning? Where are the spaces where you're reflecting? Where are the spaces where you are pushing uh, new boundaries or you're pursuing goals that you set? Now, running just became that that sort of platform for me. And I realized soon, I was like, well, you have to have a goal. That goal has to be um, something a little bit more challenging. It just can't be this sort of layup goal where you're like, oh, that was easy. I got after it. It's got to be something that where there's a little bit of tension. You have to be able to see your progress over time, whether that's through fitness level and appearance or heart rate dropping. And it could be multiple sort of variables that you're looking at. You start to realize that running can teach you a lot about how to show up in your day-to-day. And I started to recognize this pretty early in my, my path. I was like, well, what does it mean to set a goal for uh, showing up for a half marathon? Uh, so this would be like November of like 2018. Uh, I signed up for my first half marathon, which would have been in the spring of 2019. Yes, 2019. And so I signed up for that thing. Now you're committed right? So what does it mean to be committed? What does it mean to be disciplined? What does it mean to vary your workouts? And then all along, there's sort of this um, sort of parallel arc 
that's happening where I don't know everything. I sort of have this white belt mentality uh, around running and fitness or running exclusively. What sort of research do I have to do on shoes and footwear? Are there accessories that I need? Are there running um, mentors out there, free mentors, you know, YouTube and beyond or articles that they're writing? So you, you sort of go into this path of um, really thinking about your goals, your fitness, your pursuits, but now you're putting yourself into a learning mode. Uh, and I realized that it helped me show up for work a little bit better uh, because I had sort of these anecdotes and these examples where it's like, no, 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 no. I'm learning too. Uh, some of my learning outside of school um, is around running, but what does it mean to be a learner is ultimately the same thing. If we're learning a new strategy around literacy practice uh, in my role as an instructional coach, then I, I know what it feels like to learn something new for the first day and have it be a little bit bumpy the first time I try it. Uh, and those exemplars from running kind of really started to just blossom and stand out. And then I started to see more and then I started to see more parallels. Uh, and I continue to use it uh, in, a, in a number of ways in my own personal life. Uh, and there's certainly upside for that. But then in my sort of day-to-day -day work uh, as an instructional coach too. It's fascinating how often our perspective could be similar in another area of our life. And you're thinking, oh, I'm just learning to become a better runner. But there's so many lessons you're learning along the way that play into education and, and helped you mm -hmm. set different goals or just learn to manage good days and bad days or what have mm -hmm. you. So speaking of, tell us where you started in education and what you're doing now, which is very exciting. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I, I know it is exciting. Um, so I started off uh, as a fifth and sixth grade teacher and shortly into my career, uh, there was an opportunity for this instructional coach position, which by the way, in 2008, I knew nothing about <laughs> yeah. instructional coaching. And so, so they, they, they tapped me, uh, my administration tapped me and said, Hey, we really think you would be good for the role. Would you consider applying? And I said, sure. And so I applied. Uh, and got the the position. Now, that's fantastic. Uh, but the reality was quick that I had to get back and figure out what am I what am I naming this? How does the role function? And um, what's out there that I can learn from? And so back then, you're using like Internet Explorer or whatever I had at the time, and, and I'm <laughs> sort of searching all of these terms and trying to figure out uh, what is instructional coaching and how do we define it? How do we operate with it? You know, what does it look like on a day-to-day -day basis? And I had zero concept at the time. And I know everybody, um, I'm sure listening to this and, and I'm sure the, the audience that you've, you've curated understands that starting with your why is really important. Um, but back in 2008, I couldn't start with why because I couldn't figure out what and how. <laughs> and, um, and I put those two things right before. And, and so it became a, a challenge. It became a day-to-day -day pursuit. But what I realized sort of shortly into my career that first year was I think somebody else, and this has happened time and time again in my career, somebody saw something in me that they felt that I had a skill set or as Liz Wiseman would put it, I had this sort of uh, these intangibles that somebody else, if they give me sort of shoes that are a little bit too big, uh, that I would eventually figure out a way to grow into them. And that's happened numerous times. And, and the, the, this role, this coaching role that I walked into early um, was no exception. And so I 
was figuring it out, but I realized that I had some, or a way of being uh, that I would describe it as now, but back then I was just sort of attributes that could be helpful in a role. I was not afraid to teach in front of other people. And uh, I quickly was able to admit when I didn't, didn't know things. And, um, you know, like if I didn't know anything, I was like, all right, well, we'll go back and try and figure it out together. Uh, and that sort of partnership approach that I had early on came just as a sort of, uh, again, that white belt mentality of, of admitting what you don't know and finding ways to be a learner around that. And that's just sort of always been natural to me. Uh, and I think that was what appealed to a lot of my colleagues early was, all right, he's not coming in telling me how to do these things. He is exploring the possibilities with the kids that we have in front of us. And so I started to like the role uh, for that exact reason, which was we could do things uh, together where I, I believe personally that every one of our colleagues, and at the time I had a different way of describing this, but now I've, I've since changed my language, it's just uh, everybody needed uh, a thought partner, somebody they could think and learn and grow alongside in order to benefit the kids that they were serving. And now I've since changed that to everybody deserves. You don't necessarily mm. need it, but you certainly deserve somebody to think with. Uh, teaching, as we all know, is just so complex. And there were so many days where I'm just like, I wish somebody else was here just to talk me through this thing. Um, you know, and, and so I wanted to be that person for others. So I occupied that role um, in the, the city of Buffalo here all the way through 2015. They wanted somebody to take over. Uh, the launch of our one-to-one -one devices. At the time, it was iPads in this particular school. So I took a sort of a run at uh, becoming a technology coach for a year. And that was equally as rewarding because I almost had to go back and sort of admit, again, what I didn't know and what I needed to know in order to be effective in the role. And that launch was was early uh, as far as launches go. And it, you know, this is 2015. And people were unsure. And so we were able to navigate those waters pretty quickly. Uh, I got some really great help. I brought in, reached out to Dr. Dr. Uh, Ruben Puntadora and brought him in uh, with the SAMR model and just sort of unpacked that. And, and again, I was just sort of one of those people, you know, was sort of a connector where I, I didn't hesitate to reach out to the expert and uh, uh, say, hey, look, we're trying to learn this and we would love your help. Uh, and as a coach, admitting what you don't know and then pursuing paths to gain some perspective or some knowledge would, is, is obviously helpful in our role. And so we were able to navigate those waters for a little bit. Fast forward to uh, 2016, and there was a new posting in a, a nearby district here. They were looking to start their coaching program. And at that point, I had been seated, you know, sort of as an instructional coach since 2008. And I took... Um, an opportunity to just explore that and take a risk and see. And so went to a new district. They were looking to launch coaching, help them launch their coaching program. And uh, we're still in the midst of that uh, a little bit. And I'm still, I just ended um, my work with them. Uh, so up to 2022 here. And now I'm taking on uh, yet another role, which is <laughs> uh, the work with uh, Dr. Jim Knight and the Instructional Coaching Group. I am now full-time, yeah. I'm full-time with Jim Knight in the Instructional Coaching Group now, uh, working as a coaching champion for a research project and doing some consulting work. That so is so cool. So, yeah, <laughs> it's, it's been a wild ride. So what would you say is the best lesson you learned transitioning from school district type coaching to a large company focusing on coaches around the world, I guess? Yeah, you know, 
I, I'm going to go with an obvious one here, which is like the thing that I constantly work my way through and it feels like imposter syndrome, but it's, it's really not. It's, it's more of a sort of a learner mindset. And, you know, I, I asked myself when Jim asked me to come on board with ICG and the instructional coaching group, I just kind of like had this moment where I was like, who am I to go work with these uber talented individuals and this team uh, that he's assembled? Like, I don't know if I can do that. And then I quickly sort of reframed that to become, sure, I, I may not be able to do it. And I've been in a district or a school setting since 2005. And I may not be able to do it. I may not be able to do it yet or as well as I'd like. And mm-hmm. with each rep, it's going to continue to get a little bit better. And I know that feels or can feel for some this sort of cliche uh, around that growth mindset. But it's true. Um, it, it's one of those things where it's like I did a presentation the other day for uh, this project that we're on and the district admin is on there. And I, I knew, I went into the, the presentation saying to myself, whatever happens today, uh, the next presentation will definitely be better because I have a process for it. I have a process in a way, all of our presentations are recorded. I can watch the recording back and I can watch for areas that I want to improve and reflect intelligently and then make actionable adjustments after that and so yeah and i think i think so like my biggest lesson is just knowing that of course your first time in these transitions if you were brave enough to take a transition like that or you're thinking about it moving to a company it's going to feel scary there's going to be some moments where it, it feels terrifying because you're not sure that you have everything you need to be successful or to add value to the organization but trust me that if with the right process of reflection and mindset, knowing that you will get progressively better and not being afraid to ask for it too, you know, like ask for support. Like I've asked Jim uh, quite a few times and he's a busy guy. And so I have no problem just sort of, Hey, would you mind watching my video on this? Or would you, um, can you take a call? Uh, give me some feedback before I prepare for this session. And I think he's been so gracious about it, but, um, knowing who your mentors are, or your, your coaches and, and being able to tap into them. You know, I, I think every coach just kind of needs that, that thought partner or that coaching too. Um, and not being afraid to, to ask for it. Hey y'all popping in here real quick to remind you, if you are loving the podcast, hop on over to iTunes to leave a star rating and type in a few words for the review. This helps other educators find the show so they too can be empowered. Lots of love and thanks. Now back to the show. Yeah. And when you're working with all these teachers, what would you Mm -hmm. say are characteristics that stand out to you that you know, like, oh, this person's really going to be successful? I mean, you've highlighted some things about not being afraid to ask and go and finding your own mentors. But when you really look at instruction through that lens, what would you say is like the it factor for teachers who are really great? Yeah. Wow. I've come across so many... I've worked with so many talented educators. Um, and I think honestly, the, the, the one thing that kind of grabs me every time and stands out to me when it comes to, uh, their craft or their skill set is that they have a way to take information, content that needs to be delivered. And they have an ability to look at it differently and think about how they're going to bring it to life, right? Like they're, how do we engage 
through the content we have to deliver. And I think the most talented educators are probably uh, really good at storytelling. You know, they're strong at relationships, uh, obviously, uh, and they have a way to kind of keep an audience captive and, um, and, and on the edge of their seat in some ways. And I feel like that doesn't come easily and it takes repetition, it takes practice, it takes intentionality, but uh, the best educators I've seen have really been masters around taking what needs to be done uh, around curriculum or instructional delivery and finding a way um, to really bring it to life around storytelling or engagement strategies and, and getting the most out of their, their class. I would say that's the other like thing that I noticed too. The most successful educators that I've been around are not afraid to hand it over to their, their class, their students, to have them engage in a way um, where they're holding back, not holding back, but they're facilitating and asking deeper questions of how they're interacting with the content or what they're learning. Um, they're not just getting in there and taking over kids' thinking. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that ownership piece is really mm-hmm. big in classrooms, but you can't even get to that point if you haven't done your work in preparing the lesson or having the management in place or, like you mm-hmm. mentioned, just really engaging the kids to the point that they even want to take over, yeah. you know? So mm-hmm. I, I agree with your thoughts there. I wanted to ask you, so there's a variety of folks that tune into the podcast. We've got mm-hmm. new teachers. We've got some teachers transitioning to different roles, very similar to your journey. And then you've got folks like you and I, I call them teacher leaders. So mm-hmm. if you had to pick one bucket of those folks to speak to, who would you pick? And then what exactly would you tell them? Teacher leaders. We're going, we're going in with uh, the teacher leader group. I think understanding what your partners need, uh, what's being said and what's maybe not being said, uh, and really having and being able to deploy empathy at that point can be a challenge for instructional leaders because there's, there's sometimes in these roles, there's sometimes space between when we were in the classroom and that space to where we are now and dealing with colleagues who are still in the classroom and supporting them. Uh, and I know so many of my my teacher friends out there uh, have no desire to leave the classroom. And I love that. But what they also will will tell you is that they want support, but they want it in, in a way and in a format where people don't forget what it's like to juggle 20 to 30 different needs a day, uh, plus a parent end, uh, plus a curriculum end. And if you're on the elementary end, five and six different <laughs> subject areas. So... You know, it's it's one of those things where we can never lose sight of that. And mm-hmm. what I say to teacher leaders is, if you can't walk the talk, it becomes really challenging for your colleagues to gain that trust. So I still prepare lessons. I when I do, I, I do prepare my lessons. I try to put my I put my teacher hat back on, and I say, if I were really going to do this uh, as a teacher leader, but with respect to my colleagues, this this lesson plan has to be done in a certain time frame. Uh, you know, it can't, I can't spend seven hours on one lesson plan and then right. go in there and demonstrate that lesson, right? That's not walking the talk. So I think when it comes to teacher leadership, it's really just about understanding and deploying empathy and really understanding what's being said and not being said in a way that we can support without sort of the bells and whistles of something that isn't attainable. Mm. 
Gosh, that's good. Yeah, because it's not about being a model that took months to prepare for. It's about 100%. what's realistic in the moment and what teachers are, are working with. So, yeah, gosh, mm -hmm. that's so good. I can't wait to re-listen to that one. We always do quotables in our show notes, so mm -hmm. that one for sure is going <laughs> to make the cut okay. there. Um, but I wanted to ask you kind of a question that's going to make you be a little bit more transparent than maybe you want to be, but it's for a good reason. I yep. wanted to know... What is a mistake you've made in teacher leadership? Because, you know, this podcast is about everything's a lesson. How can we learn and grow from it? And I'm hoping through your example, someone else can either avoid that same obstacle or learn your mindset or perspective around, you know, it happened and now I know how to just be different. So what would that moment be for you? So this moment is in a classroom, uh, probably around... Well, it happened twice, uh, once early in my career and, and once recently. Uh, and the, the early career one was I knew a pretty good deal about, uh, I'm going to explain this through the content, but I'll explain the, the, the lesson here. Uh, I knew a pretty good deal about cooperative learning and some of the strategies uh, for Kagan cooperative learning early in my career. Mm -hmm. And our school, our campus at the time, did not know we, we weren't there yet we didn't know enough about kagan and so when i came out of the classroom i thought that being able to show everybody what i know would be a good use of time you learn quickly that while those strategies uh in this case kagan cooperative learning strategies are going to be they're beneficial of course um, they're engaging and they can be helpful the way you present the use of them um, matters a great deal more than the content itself and so early on i would just sort of say i would listen to a colleague and they say oh you know i'm having a, a hard time in this one example she's having a hard time identifying a way to get her students working more cooperatively in the classroom or sharing at their tables. And so I said, listen, I got it. I know how this goes. They need shoulder partners. They need face partners. Here's how, here's how this goes. I'll be in tomorrow to kind of demonstrate this. And I steamrolled the entire process. One, because I was excited to share. Mm -hmm. So that's like sort of a, that's a little bit more of a place of benevolence, I suppose, right? Like I'm like, look, I, this is pretty good. Like I can, <laughs> I can share this, I can show this all good in my head, yeah. but not good on the delivery front. Now, my colleague obliged uh, at the time. She was just like, okay, sure, come in. And I delivered, got them all set up in sort of the structured pairs and their table mates. And we, we, we did, we, we engaged through cooperative learning early, but then being asked to come back into that classroom uh, didn't happen at the frequency that I, that I liked. So I, continued to push and say, so when are we doing this next? And, and she continued to kind of push me off. And it took me a minute to just get it, you know? And I realized like I came in a little bit too heavy with information that I was comfortable with. And what I learned is not every colleague is at that particular stage that you think you're, you're at even, right? And it's almost like that curse of knowledge that everybody talks about. Mm -hmm. It's like, you know a lot of things, but it's possible um, that the way in which your colleagues are interacting with that content has to be um, bridged a little bit differently than the way that you're sort of able to pull it up that day. And fast forward to that same lesson 
and I caught myself much earlier in this case, um, where we were doing some work uh, about two years ago, pre-pandemic work around sketchnoting. And I used sketchnoting as a, as a vehicle for my own learning and my own practice, um, where I knew that by daily practice uh, and note-taking myself, I would get better at that thing. And I just wanted to kind of continue to challenge and push. Well, I did get better at that thing. And I feel very comfortable with sketchnoting and sketchnoting elements. And so I had this sort of, again, how powerful this can be for kids. Let's let's get this going. And I had a colleague who reached out to me about that particular thing because I ran a session, uh, a workshop on sketchnoting, and she said, you know, could could we bring that to our to my fourth grade classroom? And and I said, sure. How would you like this to go? And I think this is where the the lesson sort of came back. You know, what are you hoping out of? What are you hoping for in your students? You want higher engagement. You want them to be a little bit more creative. You don't want the same old note taking or they're not using their notebooks. All of those things were sort of surfaced in our initial conversation because I was more curious about what she wanted out of her students. Mm -hmm. And that actually shaped the way that I introduced the content to her. And a cool little thing that came up uh, as a result was it, it didn't become me doing it. It became a we doing it. So my colleague and I said, well, I'm gonna take this part and why don't you consider like a part that you're comfortable with and you mock up a page that you want to do and so it sort of became this sort of co-teaching thing and that we did and she quickly became somebody who took it on uh and is still running with it in her third grade classroom now uh she has become sort of the go-to in that building uh, around sketchnoting and i'm very fortunate that i was able to catch myself early not go in there and steamroll, but but to be clear on where she wanted this to go in her classroom, and I, I think that was that was sort of the lesson. I was me, that was me correcting course uh, for the lesson that I had learned earlier in my career for sure. And don't you feel better being like, yes, I didn't make that same mistake again. One hundred percent, almost like like relief. You know, it's it's because you feel, you know, first of all, there's there's much more empowerment. Um, for her and others that I've done that with, where that sort of coaching, uh, being able to interact with where we're trying to, what's the impact we're trying to have on on students, and figuring that out together, but then ultimately sort of creating that collective efficacy and the the space where others can lead and be out in front. It allows me to have a place where I've taken like our new colleagues who are new to the building, and I said, let's go watch. Uh, in this particular room, because no longer does it have to be about, it's not about the person, it's about us interacting and learning together uh, in this, these sort of partnerships. So I feel like, yes, huge sigh of relief, um, but then also, you know, the, the, the downstream effect is that we've built capacity. We've built mm. capacity in our teams, we've built capacity in our building. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, your do-over was, was worth it. It's almost like it had a, a better impact long-term because mm. you messed up, because that made you aware of something you would have missed out on had you not made the mistake. See, and that's why I love being here. I, I knew you were going to push it. That's exactly, that's exactly what I needed to hear about that whole sequence, because uh, when you're in the throes of it, like you said early on, it feels you you catch it and you realize that you made the mistake. Um, but then, yeah, you're right. Fast forward several years later and, and there's an impact, right? Boom. 
<laughs> well, I want to be respectful of your time. So I've got one more for mm-hmm. you. And it's sure. about keeping that, that fire alive. And I know your journey has been moving to different roles. And so maybe that plays a role in you just still being enthusiastic as an educator. But thinking of folks who are coming out of COVID and might not be in the best culture in their buildings, is there something they can do that you have found works for you to reignite your passion and that potential as an educator? Yeah, I think this comes down to where in your life are you are you sort of learning on the edges? And I think putting yourself in a position where, and I know this isn't attainable for everybody, but for me, it, it was the, the fitness thing, uh, putting on my shoes every day and thinking about habits and then thinking about habits that relate to my work. Uh, it gave me a different lens with which to grow and develop in my my role. Um, taking on something creative like sketchnoting or writing, I'm very fortunate. I write for um, Ruth Ayers and Choice Literacy. And one of the things that, that we do in this sort of setting as Ruth is sort of just a, she's just an amazing mentor in my life. But professionally, she's pushed us where we have these writing clubs and we submit drafts and for articles that we're writing and we meet on all those drafts have to be submitted on a friday and we meet on a sunday Uh, everything is pushed out to us on a saturday where we read it and we come prepared to work with our colleagues to ask questions and be curious about their 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 writing but writing i never thought i would be in a writing club uh one but then two to be in a writing club is a very vulnerable space for me i didn't consider myself to be a writer yet i'm writing and i'm in these sort of communities where i'm learning uh from the group and being uh sort of tethered to others who are doing similar work and i feel like that connection and finding your community outside uh, of education and it can be on the edges of educational communities um, but it doesn't have to be exclusive to that. You can, um, you know, again, I joined uh, a running club online and uh, we have a community of posts there through Facebook uh, and, and finding a way to just say, not solely focus on my day-to-day work in a building or on a campus, but also having other outlets where I am connected to others. I think it's really exciting to hear one that you can get your spark back, but that it's a consistent Mm -hmm. effort. And I mean, your journey has kind of been this way. Things kind of come up out of nowhere at the perfect time. And here you are doing (laughs) something you didn't even think you would be doing and all the lessons involved with that and the collaboration and and how that uh, lights a spark in a different part of your brain and to continue Mm -hmm. to give back. So I'm glad you shared uh, again, another lesson about pushing yourself, go out seeking for things, be open to opportunities that come that might not be something you think you would like, but turn mm-hmm. out to be something that really pushes you uh, because that's where the growth is. Um, so I just wanted to thank you for everything you've shared today. Can you tell us how can we find you? Where are you on social? Where are you hanging out? If we've got questions, where can we go to find answers? Yeah, I love when people... Um reach out or connect so yeah mostly uh you can find me at brian b-r-i-a-n underscore seppi s-e-p-e underscore uh on all of uh the social media channels uh you will see uh, a ton of 
baseball uh, stuff on there. You'll see a ton of running stuff on there. You'll see uh, a ton of educational stuff on there. Um, but I, I will say that that's that's sort of another you know lesson you you talked about was like even my coaching of baseball. I have baseball experience, but staying connected in that community outside. Uh, not only is teaching me the lessons that are important for life and relationships and team building and all those things, but they're able to take those same anecdotes and think about or see where they live and show up in my day-to-day work. And I feel like all of those connections outside of school are are really, really important. Yes, I couldn't agree more. It transfers well. It makes you well-rounded. It gives you a, a mental break of being in the same place, operating the same way. Um, mm-hmm. and, and the lessons are, are worth it. So I encourage you guys to connect with Brian, whatever your social media channel is of choice, and then email him questions. Like he said, he's open mm-hmm. to, you know, chatting. And, and we can't wait to watch as things unfold with your work with Jim Knight. So um, I'm definitely yeah. going to be stalking and you a little bit more now. Do that. And one last thing I just want to end with, just yeah. if you don't mind me saying, I, I, did, I think, and thank you for all the work you do. Um, the content you pu- you push out, the resources that you share, those things keep the people in the community sort of thriving and pushing for more too. And I just, I can't thank you enough because, you know, we need to hear perspective uh, from those living or walking the talk as we talked about earlier. But um, your work is incredible. I love the work that you're putting out there and we'll continue to follow that as long as I can for sure. Oh, you're the best. Well, thank you so much for sharing your time. And it was good to just catch up and collaborate again. So don't go too far. Hopefully we can do it again in the future. Oh, man, it was so good to have Brian on the show. Lots of lessons learned here today, y'all. And I hope you take him up on his offer to connect. He's super easy to talk to very personable. He loves to learn. So it's not just you going and getting something from him. There will be something for him to get from you as well. So don't be shy. Share your knowledge. Ask your questions. And Brian's ready to be your coaching bestie. So make sure you do that. Visit the show notes, alwayslesson.com. Click on podcast. You'll find this episode and all the links and the quotables, everything for this episode you'll want to find is right there. Brian, if you're listening, thank you so much for coming on the show. So good to collaborate with you again and cannot wait to watch your journey continue to unfold as you leave an impact in education. All right, Elite Educators, that is a wrap for this week's special edition interview podcast with Brian Seppi. Now go out and be great because you've just been empowered. (laughs) 